Welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers, giving you the motivation and inspiration you need to make the most of your later years. Whether you're still in the planning stages or you're several years in, we'll share stories from boomers who refuse to act their age and continue to live a life inspired. Let them show you how being old can be new if you know what to do with your host, Terry Lorbeer. Hello and welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers. My guest today is Jean Peterson. Jean is 85 years young, going on 86. She holds a bachelor's degree in English Lit with a second major in philosophy theology. After leaving the cloister, she went on to get married and have a child. Today, she is a poet and children's picture book writer. Welcome, Jean. How are you today? I am just fine. It's exciting to talk to you. And I'm so happy to have you. And and just to let people know, you're a friend of my sister's. So we've known each other for a long time. Um, and... Our daughters actually played together at my sister's house. So I think it was my daughter, Lisa, was, you know, got together with your daughter many times when they went to my sister Barbara's house. So we've known each other for a long time, but I really didn't know that you were a poet and a writer until a couple of years ago. So I'm happy to know that we're going to talk about that as we get into it. But my first question is that um, you're my very first guest that's ever been a cloistered nun. So tell oh, us. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, well, there's not that many that leave, I guess. I don't know. So tell us your story. Why did you go in? Why did you leave? And maybe if you have any stories you want to share, share whatever you would like with my audience today. Well, <clears throat> I think that you probably already know that one of my passions has been chasing God through the metaphysical universe, the astrophysical universe. And that has been ever since I was a very tiny child. When I was three, I made up my mind that in this life, I was going to be great. And that, you know, you would think that was pretty weighty for a three-year-old. That's amazing um, for a three-year-old. I just, that's yes. hard to believe. <laughs> and, you know, that was a big thing in my life. Uh, wow. When I finally reached the age of around 17 or 18, I discovered religion and I discovered Christian religion and the person of Jesus Christ. Uh. And not to put it too dramatically, <laughs> that realization was like falling in love. And I fell in love with the biblical New Testament, Jesus Christ. And at that point, I no longer was interested in following through with marriage and a family. I had <clears throat> instead one thought that I wanted to be exclusively committed to Christ. And so when I found the order that I eventually entered, uh, I knew that that was where I wanted to be. That was where I belonged. And I entered in 1958, and I was there until 1971. Oh, and wow. at that point, I requested to be released from my vows. 
And the reason had a lot to do with the church at that point in time, because the theology of religious life was changing. And they, they explained that all Christians were called to a spiritual life, if you will, in whatever form they found themselves committed. Married people, religious people, cloistered people, it was all theologically one. And so a lot of nuns said, why are we sacrificing everything if it's all the same thing? And they started to leave the convent in droves. Wow, I, I did not know that. Wow. Yes, it seemed to me that another way of serving God would be as a married person. Yes. And I could do that because, you know, when you enter the convent at 18 and you leave at 32 or whatever I was, it's not a simple proposition. You're not the same person that you were when you were 18. And I had changed and grown in the interim. So I, I don't know where I'm going with this thought. Um, so I you guess, left. And then what did you do when you left? What kind of work did you do? Because now you had to get a job, right? To take care of yourself. Oh, yes. And, definitely. Yes. And I had no, no work experience, whatever. Right. Um, I had, well, I was in the cloister uh, at the very tail end of my 13 years there. I completed my bachelor's degree in English mm -hmm. and with the co-major in theology, philosophy. When I went for my first job, I knew that I had no work experience. And I talked quite a bit about my English degree. I was at uh, interviewing with a publishing company. Ah. And we were in the middle of a recession at that point in time, economically. And the young lady who was interviewing me was very sympathetic, empathetic. And she said, well, right now we don't have any jobs for editors, but can you type? <laughs> well, talk about the moment of truth. I could type 120 words a minute. And I but thought, really, yeah, that's yeah. really fast, Jane. That's yes. really because I typed in high school and I yes. didn't get anywhere near there. Wow. You were fast. I could. Well, of course, I was writing at that point, And the right. faster I typed, the more words I could get on the page. <laughs> so, you know, I wanted to type very fast. Wow. And I thought to myself, I could keep quiet about my typing and starve. Right. Or I could say, I could admit that I could type. And she looked very hopeful that, you know, she'd have a job for me if I could type. Right. So I said, yeah, I can type. And I tested, it. I, I think it was 117 words a minute. And she said, how would you like to be an administrative assistant to our three? Well, actually, there were three guys who were managers there. Mm -hmm. And that was my job. I worked for all three of them. Mm -hmm. And that was how I got one foot in the door of the whole world of jobs and publishing, what have you. Oh, my gosh. And publishing. You went right to publishing. It's yes, like you knew that's where you belonged. Well, I knew that anything uh -huh. to do with words that, you know, that would right. be good for me. Right. right. So then you're in this publishing house um, working. How long did it take before you met your husband and got married? Uh, well. 
actually not all that long. I met him on February 22nd, 1972. Uh, serendipity, if you will. Uh, we had talked to each other on the phone several times, and then we met in person. And we married on August the 26th of that same year. So oh, it wasn't wow. all that long an engagement. Yep. And he already had three sons by a prior marriage. And he had custody of two of them. Did he? Wow. Yes. So I was, it was like a ready-made family. Instant you know? motherhood. <laughs> yes. And believe it or not, it was a very challenging situation because his sons believed that his father left his first wife to marry me. And actually, there were a few years in between there that before I even met him, that he was no longer right. married. So, yeah, one of those situations are always tricky. They're never going to be good. So exactly. It's hard. Exactly. You jumped right into a challenge. <laughs> right. But the whole that whole experience of leaving the convent, meeting and marrying Joe, mm -hmm. becoming an instant mother, quote unquote, it opened the door for me to see that life with its challenges can be viewed as progression uh, that we make mistakes through yep. or as growth. And so I started thinking, even at that point, that rather than looking at entering the convent, maybe as a mistake, leaving the convent as a mistake, meeting and marrying Joe and other mistakes, I started to see that, no, these are not mistakes. No. They are growth. And yes. that was the very beginning of my poems of faith and inspiration and the very first poem in that book deals with the whole concept of redemption. Oh. And I started to understand that there's a progression, you know, from like for me, when I was three saying I wanted to be great. And now I'm in my 30s with all of this history behind me. And I'm still feeling that I'm called by the Lord to do something. But it's just not an easy transition from one thing to another. And I'm thinking about something that I found somewhere. I'm going to read this because I think that this is one of the cores of my story. Mm -hmm. It is I, Lord, I have heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord, if you need me. I will hold your people in my heart. And now holding his people in my heart involved a family. And earlier than that, of course, my first family, that was full of a lot of opposition. So I didn't understand that I was re responding to the Lord even then. And certainly his people now call to me in a broader, a broader sense. So I was looking at the whole concept of even then, can God somehow take the choices we've made and render them in love transformed? And that was very first poem in San Francisco at Ebtide. That was the poem called Redemption One. 
And I ask in that poem, if you could go backward and change the things in your life that seem all wrong to you now, would you make the changes that make to make it all right? And would it then be all right somehow? Were those things you're doing as the present wings by in some mythical future could change? Wave a magical wand from a time far ahead to make right the time that remains. And here's the question that I think all of us here in my building, 70s and 80s, are asking ourselves as we look back on our lives. If there is only one right path to choose, then everything else must be wrong. Yet can God somehow take the choices we've made and render them in love transformed? And so this has become my mission at this stage in my life, is sharing what I've learned about life and love and change and growth and God, not as a judgmental God that maybe has us scared to death as through the years we've been browbeaten by church mythology about God and suddenly seeing God in a completely different light and ourselves now revealed in that light, not as somebody who has done bad things, but as somebody who has learned and grown as through our life. And this ends with just a few more lines of this, not to browbeat you with my poetry here, but <laughs> some say God writes straight with crooked lines. And if in our life that is so, then he certainly can write what may now seem so wrong. In his redemptive love, we are reborn. And sharing, just sharing these thoughts with other people has become my mission. Here, again, I'm in a senior residence, and there it's a, a lot of, and I know we touched on this, there's a lot going on here that it requires a lot of adjustment, to put it mildly. Right. And one of the things that challenges me is very simply other residents. And I have looked around at people and seen them not in the most uh, positive light and finding it a real challenge to deal with living in close quarters with 230 other people <laughs> and wow. finding it an irritant a lot of the times, you know, uh, things to be aggravated with. And so for me, growth now is learning how to live with other people in a way that is positive for me and positive for them. And I had such a, a moment of enlightenment one day and there was a lady with her family and they were checking out apartments and I was on my way to the elevator. And I looked at the new people, that the new lady, and she, her eyes were sparkling and she was looking around and my, it caught my heart 
I thought, she's looking with such hope at the next stage of her life. And this is so meaningful for her and right. for her family. And it opened the doors for me. I said, who am I to be irritated by anybody? You know, I'm probably very irritating to them, too. And again, we all are We're all irritating to right. others, but we get mad at people and we think we're fine. No, we irritate right. people. I irritate my husband all the time, all the time. So I, I irritated mine. <laughs> absolutely. Right. Absolutely. You know, so I can so. totally see where that happens. But I think that's a great mission. So you're there to maybe help other people see the same way. Because yes. Um, and when I first came to Brookdale, I, you know, I came because I had a health crisis and my daughter, you know, felt that it was time for me to be closer to her. Mm -hmm. And she found in three days, she found Brookdale for me and it happened very, very quickly. And all of a sudden I was now a Southerner living with a lot of people completely different that I had no experience with and in a different place. And I thought, why am I here? You know, and that has been another uh, thought process, which has challenged me greatly. And of course, you don't get the answers all at once. And like when I realized there were other people here who were dealing with the same things that I was dealing with, again, it opened a door that had been closed to me in terms of other people. So, and this could be your mission that God sent you to do yes. to make it a happier place. Get these, some of these people together, make them because they feel terrible too. They're away from their families. They have health That's issues. Right. They have aches, so they don't really have maybe a whole lot to make them feel good. So you no. can do that for them. Maybe you and get that together and read them. Some of yeah. your poems. Well, that brings me to something else that, you know, as I was thinking these things through, mm -hmm. I got the flash of brilliance that maybe <laughs> I could, you know, corral people into some kind of a little discussion group where we would talk about and explore together the opportunities for growth yes. that are in a situation like this. And that would open us even more to how to be there in a positive way for one another. Not that I would be mentor of the group because I'm learning too, but right. that we could share on many different levels. And rather than seeing other people as obstacles, see them as opportunities. And so this is where I'm going with this, you know? So now, I see that, and again, I, I know we had talked a little bit about this, that right now I'm writing in fulfillment of my vocation of many years ago to serve God's people, emerging from solitude, a life thereof, to reach others with a vision of hope, peace, and love, and that this is where I am. It, there's nothing fancy about it. It's that maybe I've learned a little bit, maybe I can share a little bit, and that this is all part of the challenges and tragedies that envelop 
the human experience and that all of us stand on top of a mountain that is our life. And we see the beauty of our growth reflecting the beauty and love of God. And as I said, it's not a matter of religiosity, but it is a matter of vision and a matter of exploration of a new terrain. Um, and for me, it's myself, others, God, the astrophysical universe, which challenges me all the time. When you look at the wonderful new telescope, the James Webb Telescope, which is revealing so much of astonishing wonders of this universe, the birth of stars, of looking back in time, which never fails to just amaze me because they're trying to go all the way back to the very beginning of the universe, the first point of light. And if they're able to capture that on this telescope, what an incredible Thing that is going to be, and I hope that I'm around to see it when yeah. that moment happens, you know? Yep. Uh, so <clears throat> I know that if if I had it to do over again, I think I'd want to become an astrophysicist, except that that's delusional because I couldn't begin to do fourth grade math, <laughs> let alone the... <laughs> right. And guess what? You know, God put you where you are for a for reason. For a reason. He yes. did. So the fact that you're now opening up to that and thinking about it is great and asking yourself, what can I do to help that? I think a discussion group is perfect. Absolutely perfect. I think that will help you and a lot of the other residents. And as you start small, others might hear about it and want to join. And maybe yes. eventually you need two groups because you get to be too big. You might need two or three groups. Right. Right. And Your mission I just could have, be way bigger than you think, Jean. <laughs> I have one, one more poem for Miss Sam Prince to share. Okay. And this is the poem that I think, you know, relates to what we're talking about, which is myself as a writer, writer of poetry. And this poem means a lot to me, so I am going to read it, but it, it's not long. Okay. Um, it's called Poet. To be a poet isn't about putting words on a page so much as sitting at midnight, looking at the sky and watching the stars dance or listening in your heart to that one perfect note over and over, even though it's long over. It's trolling for hope through all of life's pain. It's when you are the music you cannot voice. It's when you are every color of the rainbow while drowning in a sea of gray. It's when you see day and night and infinity poised to jump at the point of the precipice. It's listening alone to sounds only you can hear. It's when the day the Niagara froze and the day the hot lava flowed become one, and the cannon command, poet, pick up your pen, vibrates to the marrow of your each and every bone. Then from somewhere deep within, meteorites will transform into flaming words and soar, 
pulling you in flight with and behind them far into the stratosphere. And that's the day of your birth, poet. Wow. Mm. That was great. Very, very good. Now, before we go, let's talk about, you also did a children's picture book that looks so interesting. Yes. It's called right. Trotter and the Amazing Turtle Race. So tell yes, us about Yes, and I'm that. going to reach up and get it. Hold on one second. I'm okay. going to get the book and we can share a little bit about Trotter. It's one of okay. my very favorite turtles in all the world. Oh, great. Yeah, it's really a colorful book. It's written for four to eight years old. So for those of you that have grandchildren, this will make a wonderful gift for them. It's a really funny book, but it also has a lesson. So I love books that have lessons. Um, so you're kind of teaching your children, and your grandchildren, something along the way without, you know, trying to be preachy. It's a fun story. It's a lot of fun. It's about a turtle on a race. So it's it's just a lot of fun. Well, I'm not going to give away this, what happens to Trotter, but he's a very engaging young turtle, and he's got one ambition, which is that he wants to run in and win the amazing turtle race, and he wants to make his mother so proud. But Trotter's got a problem. Because he doesn't have the running shoes that he believes he needs in order to participate and win this race. And he knows that if he had the shoes, he could do it. But he has to have money to buy the shoes. And that's where his mom comes in. And when she hears about Turtle wanting these shoes, she sits him down and says, now, Trotter, you have everything you need to win this race. You've got perfectly fine turtle pads, and you don't need these fancy sneakers. And don't talk to me anymore about new sneakers. I don't want to hear it. So Trotter, who doesn't give up very easily, walks away and thinks, I have to find a way to convince my mother to buy me those shoes. And if she sees how serious I am, then I know she's going to buy them the shoes. So Trotter tries to figure out how to make his mother believe that he really is going to do it if he has the shoes. And he gets into several different adventures, which don't work out the way he thinks they will. And Trotter's mother doesn't buy him the shoes. And the day of the big race comes and Trotter crawls under the bed and doesn't come out. And his friends are knocking at the door saying, Trotter, you tried so hard. Come and be there for this race. Now, I won't tell you how it ends. <laughs> and the process for Trotter in convincing his mother is quite funny. And his antics and his friends who really don't believe in him at all until the last minute. So he is a very cute turtle, and the illustrations were by, done by a stu art student at uh, Philadelphia Arts School. And he, we, we chose Steve Lysevsky to do the illustrations because 
I like the style. It was like it was back, um, well, 2004 was when he had done the illustrations. And it was an unusual style of art. It was very modernistic. And, of course, there's cute little trotter on the very front cover. Um, I can hold it up. Um, yep, there he is. <laughs> and I think that's him? great. I think it's great that you um, decided to work with a much younger person. I think older people have to start doing that. Um, yes. Get together with younger people. They have all the skills with design and computers and all of that. But we have the wisdom to share. and We have other things. So if we get together, what a wonderful world, right? It's just Absolutely. so much more, right? Because his illustrations really are wonderful. Well, this book also is at um, is available at the book patch. So if anybody is interested in either Sand Prince or Trotter, if they bring up the bookpatch.com and go into the store um, and give those titles, they should come up and they give the pricing information and all of that for anybody who would, you know, be interested in getting a hold of them. I did several um, readings to nursery school kids and I found that the Five to eight-year-old group were the best ones for the trotter. The little ones, they were three and four, and they didn't have that much um, staying power to follow the, the story through. They were, you know, right. too young for it. But um, I, I do did have parents who bought trotter for their kids when they were like four, and by the time they kind of grew into it, the story, you know, right. as the time went by. So, and it sounds yeah. like a great bedtime story. And this is a yeah, great book right. for grandparents to have to read to their grandchildren. That's right. When they come, it's perfect yes. for that. Yes. So, I encourage you to go and look at Jean's books, look for her poetry books. They make really nice gifts. We have Mother's Day coming up, um, you know, and a, a book of poetry is just something you can just pick up and read one poem at a time and, and really yes. enjoy it. So, I think it's a great idea. And I will have the links in the show notes for anyone who's out exercising or doing some laundry or whatever, and you didn't have time to write down where to find the books. They'll be in the show link so that you'll be able to just click on it and go right to the books and order them. And they're priced have, much lower than most other books are. So Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, I have a friend who loved uh, the Sand Prince, and she was going through a lot of difficult times. And she would read one poem a day as she was doing her laundry. And I'd see her sitting outside the laundry room, you know, with <laughs> Sand, Sand Prince at Uptide reading poetry so yeah. it's a good thing to do because it just can help soothe your soul because we and all go yes. through hard times all of us but it's what we do with those hard times that count and it sounds yes. like your books can help people deal with it and and move on you're never going to forget you're never going to be happy if you've lost someone close to you but it'll help you deal with the situation and maybe learn to live each life a little bit fuller. So I, I think it's a great idea. And is there anything else you want to share with the audience before we go? I'm just trying to think. Um, your sister's uh, um, favorite poem of Sam Prince at Eptide, I'm going to 
tell you a little bit about it. It's called The Last Stop. And it's all about a little girl who's on a train and she's crying because she's the last one on the train and she doesn't know what to do. Everybody's gone. The conductor says, why are you crying, little one? He said, we finally arrived where we should be. And this is the last stop that your ticket's for. There are no other stations, no more, no more. But sir, she sobbed, can you not see? There's no one left on this train but me. <laughs> Everyone's gone. I alone am left. Of parents, of family, of friends, I'm bereft. I can't get off. No one's here but me. I'm alone on this train. There's only you and me. And he goes on to try to comfort her. And he says, look around. What do you see? She said, all I see is a mist. There's nothing for me when I look. And he says, what the, do you don't see that crowd of people over there? They're all calling your name. Don't you hear them? She says, no. So then he tells her to listen to that inner voice. And she's listening to her inner voice. And then he says, now listen very hard to your voice of inner truth, to that part that is your core. Remember how it once felt to want for nothing, to have everything and more, to be loved and protected, cushioned in angels' wings, and flying higher than the highest swings. Why, yes, I can fly. Now I'm flying home, she said with delight. The conductor smiled. You are absolutely right. And who awaits you now at home? Why, Mama and Papa and wonderful Aunt Sue and my best friend Polly and my grandparents too. Everybody, and yes, I can see them all right now all waiting at the station in a glorious powwow. I must get off, sir. I must get off this train, for everybody's here. My life can be the same. And dancing and skipping, she flew right to the door, and the conductor smiled. Her tears were now no more. With all she could envision, no further indecision. As she realized her destination, was now waiting at her last and final station. And then I just quoted scripture because this to me sums up everything that is there. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither entered into the heart of man, the things which God has prepared for those who love him. From Corinthians chapter 2, 9a. I think that's a nice way to end a book, and it's a nice way to, you know, and the stop podcast. our conversation. Yep. Yep. Right? Absolutely. And when you talk to Barbara, tell her that I read you parts of The Last Station, and she will tell right. you how she loves it. Yes. I like that one, too. It's very good and very apropos for people our age, because that's we right. are coming up to that last station. We are coming to that, yep. and we want to look at it. Not as a terror, nope. but as a fulfillment yes. of everything and realizing that the mercy and goodness of God is there for each and every one of us. Absolutely. And that's what our life is all about. 
Absolutely. So make the best of what you have while you have it. But when it's your time, go peacefully and know that you're going to a better place. Exactly. So you're in God's hands. That's right. So that that is... is that is a great way to end it, Jean. So yes. thank you so much for sharing everything. And I love your passion for writing and, and I love your message. So thank you so much for being with us today. And sharing. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it very much. Thank you for the opportunity. And I know that your podcasts are going to be a big success. Thank you. I certainly hope so. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, Jean. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Kick-Ass Boomers. For more information on today's guest, along with the show notes and other inspiring resources, buzz on over to kickassboomers.com. And don't forget to join our Kick-Ass community on Facebook or LinkedIn to continue the conversation. Be bold, not old. This podcast is sponsored by Premier Podcast Productions. Let's face it, everybody loves to make podcasts and vodcasts, but nobody wants to edit them. At Premier Podcast Productions, we professionally edit and distribute podcasts and vodcasts for companies around the world. Contact us at premierpodcastpros at gmail.com.